Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Thanks for joining me for Episode 7 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. Now, not only am I thrilled to have this man as my guest on the show today, but I'm also thrilled that he's going to be around Ring of Honor for years to come. He is the mercenary Flip Gordon. Flip, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. Well, first off, I just want to say congratulations uh, on signing a new multi-year deal with ROH. But before we talk about that, I always start the podcast by asking, what have you been up to during quarantine uh, these past few months? And now that things are slowly starting to open up, are you getting out and about a little bit more? So I have been taking this time um, to do things that I've been wanting to do forever, but didn't have the time to do. Um, number one thing has been on my list to do since I was a kid was ride a unicycle. I've never been able to ride a unicycle. And until this quarantine, because I've had weeks and weeks and weeks and I bought a unicycle and I've just been able to practice, practice, practice until I was able to get it. And that's just one thing. Like I've been learning Spanish. I've been learning, um, like try to learn more about accounting, like all kinds of things. Because before I just didn't have the time to do it. And now I have nothing to do. Uh-huh. And then obviously I love working out. So I've also been building like a little gym down in my basement. Um, because obviously all the gyms have limitations here in Connecticut where I live. They're actually still closed for probably another month or so. Um, so I've just been trying to stay in shape. I've been, I got a mountain bike, gotten the mountain biking. So I've been hitting the trails, just trying to do my best to stay in shape and stay ready. So I have to ask you about the unicycle. You said you had trouble learning like somebody with your incredible balance. You had trouble riding a unicycle. Well, I'd always only tried a unicycle when I saw somebody else have one. So it was like, Oh, let me try. Let me try. But when you just try for a couple minutes, of course, you're not going to be able to get it because that's something you have to practice, practice, practice at. So by buying one, I was able to practice almost every day. And it took me, it still took me about a week to kind of figure it out. But after I figured it out, now it's like, oh, I can go anywhere on it. All right. I'm going to try to get the scoop here. Learning Spanish. Do we have a scoop? Are you thinking about jumping ship and joining La Faccion de Ingo Bernable? Oh, absolutely not. Come on. But I love uh, the Spanish language and I love Mexico, believe it or not. When I went down there for CML a couple years back, um, I just fell in love with the culture. I fell in love with the language. I fell in love with the wrestling style. And my best friend growing up in high school was from Colombia. And you think that, well, being friends with him for 10, 15 years, I would have learned it by now. But now I have a little extra motivation because of wrestling. Well, here's what I learned from three years of Spanish in high school. I can say, Flip, como esta usted? Muy bien, gracias. ¿Y tú? Ah, I see, I see. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I know. That's what I learned, three years of Spanish. It's um, crazy. When I was there for four weeks, I picked up Spanish so quick. Because when you live in a country... And you have to go, if you want food, you have to, you have to speak it. If you want to get something from the grocery store, you have to speak it. 
if you want to get in a cab or an Uber, you still have to kind of talk to them and give them directions. So it literally forces you to use it, even if you're using a translator. After seeing the same phrase and repeating it so many times, you eventually just learn, hey, I need to say this to get this. <laughs> right. All right. Well, let me talk about, obviously, the big news. It was announced a couple weeks ago. You have re-signed with Ring of Honor. So I'm going to ask you the obvious question, which is, why did you choose Ring of Honor? Because we all know uh, you're a hot free agent. You could have gone other places. You decided to stay. What went into your decision? So I'm a businessman, much like Marty. And so I looked at it as a business decision. And I had done a podcast or an interview, I think like six months ago or something. And a lot of people asked me, what are, you, what are your thoughts? What are you going to do? And the most like, logical thing at the time was see all my options and then make a decision. Right. Because that's what any smart businessman would do. If somebody throws out a number, you don't just say yes before seeing what somebody else might throw out. You know what I mean? Or, or other perks, you know what I mean? Not just numbers, but it's like, I had to see all that. My heart wanted to stay with Ring of Honor because I believe in what Ring of Honor is doing. And so when they made me a deal that I just absolutely could not refuse, and it was the best deal that, was, that I even could have even imagined, um, it was just no-brainer. I have so many goals in Ring of Honor. I, I want to become a champion in Ring of Honor. I want to... I want to leave a legacy in Ring of Honor. I don't want to just be there and be like, oh, well, I was there and I'm, you know, I'm going to leave here. I have so many goals and I'm the type of person that I need to accomplish all the goals I set. So you just mentioned being a champion. We know that uh, right before we went on hiatus, one of the last shows we did was Free Enterprise in Baltimore and you won a battle royal to become number one contender. You were going to get that title shot at Supercard of Honor in April. Obviously, none of that happened. Once we get up and running again, obviously you will get that shot. I know everyone in the business says being the world champion should be everyone's goal, but for you personally, like what would it mean for you to actually be crowned the ring of honor world champion? Is that really, is that a goal um, that would that sort of validate your career? Do you think? I, that's such a tough question because like when you think of becoming the best, with the greatest, which everybody should want. Like if you're not in this to become the best version of yourself, then you shouldn't really be like, why are you doing it? And so like, when you think of some of the greatest of all time athletes, you think of the guys that have held world championships because it means that they were the best of the best. They had, you know what I mean? They worked their ass off to, to get the fans behind them, to get the management behind them. To, they earned it. You know what I mean? Obviously it's a work in a sense, but, to become champion, you have to earn the faith of not only the fans, but the boys in the back and everybody in the office because they have to put their trust in you. So that's why it means so much because it means, hey, we trust you so much that we're going to, you know, let you be the face. We're going to, you know what I mean? Let you help carry this. And that's a very tough job and it's not for everybody. Right. So back at the end of 2018, um, this is a time when obviously the elite, the Young Bucks, Cody, Adam Page, their contracts were up. They all left Ring of Honor. And I think there was a sense within the industry from fans that the only reason that you and Marty Skrull were still with Ring of Honor is because your contracts weren't up yet and you couldn't leave. Yet here you are. You've both signed new multi-year deals. My question is, did Marty re-signing play any role in your, fact, in, in your decision? 
Um, I think it had a little bit to do with it. Um, I imagine he would have something to do with the kind of deal I got. Um, but part of me, like, it's so tough because if he would have left, I still would have chose Ring of Honor because the side of me always wanted to prove, like, hey, I can do this without the elite guys. You know what I mean? Because, like, I had, like, before, like, when I was on the Indies, before I came to Ring of Honor, I didn't really, I didn't have a group. I didn't, like, belong to any clique or anything. And then I got to Ring of Honor, the, the, the elite kind of took me under their wing, and it almost skyrocketed me. And so, like, obviously, I would see people say stuff like, oh, he's only here because of this. So part of me wanted to be like, you know what? No, like, I can make it by myself. I don't need to be part of a group. I don't need, you know what I mean, Marty. I don't need the Bucks. You know what I mean? I just have, like, this thing. Like, I can do it my own. I don't need anybody else. But obviously, we all need somebody else because we need a rub. We need somebody to be like, hey check this guy out because if nobody says hey check this guy out why would that person's audience check this random guy out right so you mentioned those guys kind of taking you under their wing in a sense how did that come about did they just when you came into ring of honor did they just kind of seek you out and say hey we see Honestly, something in you? how did that work i don't know how it all happened to this day i still try to look back because <laughs> i honestly at the time i thought it was one long harmless rip <laughs> I was like, all right, man, because I'm a newbie. You know what I mean? I'm a rookie, and I'm coming in, and I'm like, I had always heard of the Young Bucks. Like, everybody in the Indies talked about the Young Bucks. Everybody knew who Cody was. You know what I mean? Everybody knew who Marty was. Hangman was just starting to blow up. And then you have this new kid that's only been wrestling a couple years. You know what I mean? And so it was surreal to me. I'm like, all right, when's this? When's the real rib coming? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like what, what's going to happen? And it just – it was so cool because for the first time in wrestling, I got to belong to a group and see how you travel, see how you hang out and have like big brothers. And they taught me so much. I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for being the elite and that group. Well, you talked about the harmless ribs. I have to ask you this question. I know we don't really shake hands nowadays in, in this time of social distancing, but do you still, before we, before the social distancing, did people shake your hand and still say, where do you think you're going? All the time. All the time. I imagine that got old. I, I, it's crazy because that was like three years ago now, it feels like. Right. And people still to this day will still do it. I'm sure even after this, despite the whole COVID thing, people are going to still do it. <laughs> Let me ask you about Marty again, specifically, um, because, you know, we had Marty on the show. He was our very first guest. And I asked him this question. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to it, but I said, um, if you had to be quarantined with, with one member of Villain Enterprises, who would you choose? And he immediately said, not flip, because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I, don't, I had to babysit him in Japan, and I don't really want to have to do that again. Oh, that's, he, he's not even telling the truth there. Tell us the truth about Marty and Flip Take Japan, then. Oh, man, that was fun. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Um, that's just us. That's just, like, organic. Like, we just, like, he's the, like, it's weird, because I didn't think me and him were going to vibe together at all. When we first met, like, when I first went to Ring of Honor, I honestly thought me and Hangman were going to become better buds, because we had, like, more in common, you know, country type of, you know what I mean? Just that type of energy. But me and Marty just hit it off right away. And it was just such pure chemistry that you can't teach. And, like, he's just he's – he's so funny. And he cracks me up. When we're together, that's probably what he's want to choose me. 
It's just because it's nonstop laughing. We're always just having fun when we're together. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you that. I mean, it's only fair that I ask you the question. I mean, if you had to be in quarantine with one member of Villain Enterprises, who would it be? I would choose Marty. Oh, see, there you go. Mainly just so I can annoy the hell out of them. No. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, we're going to, uh, man, we have so much more we need to talk about, about your wrestling career and about uh, your personal life, all kinds of things. We got a lot to get to. Let's take a quick break right now, our first one, and then we'll be back with more with Flipboard. The franchise here of Ring of Honor Wrestling, about to watch me some Honor Club right here in my very own living room. But first, I wanted to let you guys know a cool feature. Now you can go directly to the match that you're looking for on any video that exists on the Honor Club. Find the menu in the bottom right hand corner, open it up, and just select the match that you want to go directly to. For me, it's me versus Jay Briscoe from Best in the World 2015. You select the match, it's just that simple. All right, we are back here in the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Flip Gordon. And I want to talk about the awesome uh, mini documentary that ROH producer, editor Zane Decker put together on you. It was called Army of One. Uh, anyone who hasn't seen it yet, I highly recommend it. You can watch it on ROH's uh, YouTube channel. And one of the things that, um, that struck me watching that was, which I, you know, I, I know you fairly well, Flip, but I didn't really know much about your upbringing, so I learned something watching it, that you kind of had a tough um, upbringing. Um, now, for those who haven't seen it, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? You, you talk about being raised by a single mom. Um, you were the oldest of four kids, four different fathers. What was that whole thing like? Um, so it was really tough because I was the oldest kid. And growing up with a single mom until I was about 14 years old, that's when my mom remarried to my stepdad. And, but I remember as a kid, just always bouncing around from different spot, you know what I mean? Getting evicted, different guys coming in and out of the house. It was just, it wasn't a good environment to really grow up in and not having like a father figure and wanting to like do sports. I was like, I always felt like I was a step behind, like, Hey, I have to watch other people to kind of learn. And then I was sending an example for my siblings without really having an example to kind of follow. And so it kind of put me in a tough spot. But then uh, if you go a little younger than that, kind of when I was like five or six years old, um, my younger brother, Forrest, who's just two years younger than me, um, was spoiled by my grandparents, spoiled by practically everyone. And I think there was like a little bit of uh, jealousy there. And so that's when I started kind of showing off, I guess one might say. And that's when I started like doing flips and I did it to more get attention. Um, but then one thing that was really trouble as a kid was getting picked on a lot, which was one of the reasons why I started getting in trouble in school and stuff, because I used to suck my fingers. I used to suck two of my fingers until I was 14 years old until my freshman year of high school. So I would get picked for this constantly. I'd get picked on all the time. And so I would, just, I would be standing up for myself and I would be getting in fights because people were picking on me. So I was going to stand up for myself and my mom just didn't know what to do anymore. And she'd take me to the doctors and they, they actually wrongly prescribed me uh, medication at five years old. So I was on uh, ADHD and bipolar medication at five years old and told, Hey, you need to be on this like three, four pills. And it was just like, it was not what I needed. I was just a hyper kid. And my mom, I don't think knew what to kind of, 
how to channel that energy because she was a first time mother. And so I think that being on the medication obviously set off so much. It had a chain reaction. My mom didn't know how to react to it. So she, she had sent me to uh, mental hospitals um, to try to help get me help because she didn't know what to do. And then after that, I finally earned my way back to regular school when it was to the point where I was so scared of defending myself because I didn't want to get in trouble again. I was like, I, like, I'll just let everybody pick on me. I don't care. I'll just, I'll just ignore it because I didn't want to get in trouble again. And then I found wrestling and wrestling kind of changed everything. As soon as I found wrestling, I never got in trouble because I was like, this is what I want to do. And that's when I started getting in shape. And when I was a kid, I was actually a little obese because of the medication I was on. So it, like I would, that's when I started working out was when I found wrestling to help get in shape. And it really just kind of saved my, saved my life. Oh, that, I just can't imagine like being a five or six year old kid being medicated like that and being in a mental hospital. Like I just, I can't imagine. Yeah. From five, from five until about 12, I was, I went to two to three different mental hospitals. Wow. Actually, it was probably five to 10, actually, because around 11, 12 is when I discovered wrestling. Fifth grade, from fifth grade on, about halfway through fifth grade is when I went back to normal school and then kind of had to readjust. And while I was in a mental hospital, I actually skipped third grade. And so by going back to public school, they wanted to hold me back and my mom wouldn't allow it. So they made me take a test and they were like, hey, if he can test, we'll keep him with the kids his age. And I passed the test by literally a fraction, like a percentage. And so I never learned multiplication or division. And it's still, I still struggle with it to this day. Wow. So whenever I hear about people being picked on as kids who later become a success, I always wonder, do you ever hear from, or have you ever come across some of those people who picked on you, who now see you on TV and have said, man, I'm sorry about the way I treated you back then? Or have there ever been any... There's been a couple that have reached out on social media, maybe from like high school, but I mean, I moved around so much that I don't really talk to many kids that I went to elementary school with because like they lived in the next town over. Um, so I didn't really get to see many of them. Um, but this is something I haven't really talked about before because like I got picked on it so much to the point where it put me in depressive state as a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I realized that other people are probably dealing with this. And they don't know that they can overcome it or they don't see where they can go and they just see the here and now, but it gets better. You know what I mean? We grow and we mature and we learn. Well, I mean, as you said, I mean, pro wrestling, it sounds cliche, but it, it really does apply. Pro wrestling did save your life. How did, um, how did you become a fan? How did you discover it? It's really weird because as a, as, a, as a kid, my cousins always had it on their TV. And I remember always hearing them talk about wrestling. And I remember always playing the video games like on Nintendo 64 and PlayStation. But I didn't start actually watching it until about 2004 when we had moved to a new town and we got new neighbors. And I went to their neighbor's house. And this is going to sound cliche, but the neighbor was... I'm going to describe him as a 40-year-old virgin. <laughs> but that's, he lived with his mom. He was 40 years old and watched wrestling every Monday and Friday night. And so that was the first time that I had actually seen it on TV. And so I asked him, I was like, hey, what channel is this on? And he's like, Spike TV. I'm like, what? I'm like, no way. So I 
from that day forward, I started, like, I was, I was hooked. I would go to wrestling school, or sorry, I would go, I'd go to wrestling school. I'd go to regular school, and I'd be like, I'd see a filing cabinet, I'd run by it, smack it, and then I'd sell, see if I could get, like, teachers to react. Like, I was, like, I was hooked. I know that once you started, um, well, I know there's a lot of different disciplines that really helped you in, in wrestling. You know, you were an amateur wrestler, you did the gymnastics. One thing I found surprising was, which I didn't know, was that you actually did MMA. Um, what, at what point in your life was this when you're doing MMA? How many fights did you have? I had four amateur fights. Okay. So I was right out of high school. I loved amateur wrestling. I loved grappling. And so right out of high school, I wanted to wrestle more. So I did a little bit of freestyle. There wasn't enough of us. Like there was like two or three of us that want to do freestyle in our <clears throat> little area. So it just wasn't realistic. And so MMA was starting to pick up. And my best friend, the one that I told you was from Columbia, we, we actually went to the army together and did all that stuff together. He came home and was like, because we lived together in college. And he's like, I'm going to start fighting. I'm like, no, you're not, dude get out of here. You're not going to start fighting. He's like, yeah, I am. You should do it with me. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then, uh, so he had his first fight. He did great. Then his second fight was like, like a month later. And he's like, you should really do this. I'm like, no, I'm good, man. And he's, so then I go to support him and a fighter doesn't make weight or doesn't make it or something like maybe didn't make sure. I can't remember the exact scenario, but they're like, Hey, do you want to fight? And I'm like, I don't want to, but I guess I will. And like me and my friend used to all like your friends push you. They try to push your limits, right? Hey, you know, don't be a sissy. You can do it. You're not scared, right? You can fight. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm not scared. I'm not a sissy. Are you kidding me? I'll fight. So I walked in at like 160 pounds and fought a guy that was weighing 170, probably cut from like 180 something. You know what I mean? So it's a guy, kid got like 20 pounds on me. Only experience I have in fighting at this time is my grappling. So what do I do? I shoot in for a double leg. Boom. He hooks me in a guillotine. And I'm too prideful, so I didn't tap out. I passed out. Oh, God. Well, it's amazing. So, so you went into it with literally no MMA training. What's, you had, obviously, no, you I wasn't even – I took that fight the day of. Wow. <laughs> the day – like minute, like hours before. This is – I think the term more guts than brains applies. Would you, would you agree? absolutely but I, just, I was like oh i can't like i can't if i'm gonna lose i'm not gonna tap out you know what i mean until the second fight because then i had to have another fight because i lost i'm like all right well now i have to have a real fight not the day of you know what i mean it's got to be a real fight and so the week before my friend's next fight he's like hey this other fighter dropped out and i think it was a 152 or 160 it was a little lighter and i was like i was like oh yeah like I can cut a little bit to make that weight. No problem. And uh, went in and freaking same thing. Went to shoot, <laughs> gets me in the guillotine. And I'm like, no, not again. Freaking I rotate, I rotate to my side because I'd worked on how to escape a guillotine. And I freaking rotate to the side, <clears throat> freaking start loosening it up. He flips around, relocks it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to pass out again. So I tap out. Okay. So now I'm 0-2, right? So there's no way I can quit fighting because I have to at least win one. So then my third fight, it was, I took, I think I took a month in advance 
And then I actually trained for that. I cut down to 155, I think it was, and won that in the first round via guillotine because I, you know, I learned from my other opponents. And then my fourth fight was actually a week after my pro wrestling debut. And I had went back to visit family. And my buddy was like, hey, if you want, I can get you a quick little paycheck if you fight. And I was like, oh, I've, like, I, want to, I want to be two and two. I want to have like an even record. I can't have a losing record. And so I took the fight. It was in my hometown. And ended up tapping the guy out first round with an arm bar. Um, and that was my last fight. That was like three or four years ago. But yeah, that was, that was literally my little MMA stint. Wow. So, hey, you ended on a two-game uh, or two-game. Two, two and two. But I, I can still make it a winning record. Never say never. Good. With two match winning streaks. So, I, I give you credit for that. Yeah, but there was just no – like, if there was a pro wrestling school, I don't think I ever would have got into MMA. I just did it because there was nothing else, and I didn't think I was good enough to wrestle in college. So, I was like, oh, next best thing, MMA. <laughs> One other thing I took from that documentary, well, I took several things from it, but um, you talk you talk in the documentary about your uh, your injuries. Obviously, I think ROH fans know you suffered two pretty serious injuries during your short time here. Uh, you blew out your knee, you dislocated your elbow. My question to you, though, is: is it more the physical pain uh, of the injuries? That's I mean, obviously, you have to deal with that in rehab. But what is the, I guess, sort of the mental stress that comes with those things? I'd say it's more mentally than anything because, like, I have a high, a very high pain tolerance. Um, but when you, I feel like, because you've never been hurt before, you feel like you're, you're like indestructible, right? And so when you get hurt that first time, it's like, oh my gosh, I can get hurt. And then for me, in my case, I came back. And I was like, okay, well, I gotta, I gotta wrestle smarter, because I have a bum knee now, and I'm, you know, what I mean, overthinking everything. And then I had another accident, so now it's like, oh my gosh, not only can I get hurt, but I can get hurt in any type of match, and any, you know what I mean? It could be the, it, like my first injury, I drop kick, right? You know what I mean? So it's like it can happen any single time, but it makes you really appreciate what we do and what we love, because there's a lot of wrestlers that don't get hurt but they're wrestling 200 plus days a year. Like that is tough. And I had never been hurt my whole entire life. I had done backflips off of two story buildings. I had jumped off cliffs. Like I've done some crazy stuff. Never, ever, ever have I been hurt until last year. And so that took a huge mental toll on me. The second injury, which was the elbow, that was, if I recall, was that like a 450 off the top rope through a table to the floor? Yep. And it was, it's something I had hit five or six times prior literally i've never overshot a 450 a day in my life and we were run, we were <clears throat> i just joined villain enterprises turned on lifeblood and we're getting the rush because our segments you know i mean we're running low on time and the table was a little closer so i was like you know what i'll just undercut it i thought i could have it we were being rushed and i was so like in the moment i should have just taken an extra half second and i just overshot the table by maybe three inches not even my legs still got him everything but the way that I overshot when my elbow came down on the ground on the mat it completely blew out to the to the inside and I thought I broke my arm at first I remember looking at Brody and he's like get up get up and I'm like dude I can't I just broke my arm <laughs> and he's like he looks at me, he's like oh gross <laughs> and I just 
I my immediately when this happened because I'd already dealt with the knee injury. Well, I just gotta say, hold on. When you when you can gross out Brody King, man, it must have been bad. Yeah, and and freaking like I'd already dealt with the knee injury, didn't need surgery, right? So on my now I'm thinking, oh my god, I just blew out my elbow, my arm's broke, and it literally it was so disgusting. I thought it was broken, and I walk through Gorilla, I get to the back, and they're like, no, I think you dislocated your elbow, and I'm like. I guess that would make sense. It does look kind of like my elbows right there up top, almost to my bicep. And um, they're like, okay, well let's find EMTs. The, the EMTs came over and they were like, oh yeah, there's nothing we can do. We're going to have to take you to the hospital. And with my little knowledge, I know that the longer this is dislocated, the more it swells, the harder it's going to be to get back in place and which would require surgery if you wait too long. And so I looked at the boys and I was just like, please pop it back in. Oh. And, um, and it was just like one, two, pop, pop, right oh. back in. And I just remember just, it was like, oh, this, just the stress just went completely away. Cause it was back in, it looked normal. It hurt like heck, but I was just like, it's in my arms back together. Oh, yeah. so and on, then on a, on a one to 10 of the pain scale. I mean, that has to be like an 11. Honestly, it's so weird because when I blew out my knee, like you would think that you would be in pain or you would feel it. But like, even when I blew out my elbow, I didn't feel nothing. Even when they popped it back in, I felt like you have so much adrenaline going through you. You don't feel anything till the next day. (laughs) But they wanted, well, they want, and then this is what made me upset is they wanted me to go to the ER that night when I had like a 5 a.m. flight the next morning. And I'm like, I'm not spending all night in an ER just for them to tell me I need to get an x-ray and then an MRI when I get home. I was like, I'll just do that when I get home. I'm like, what are they going to do? Put a splint on it? Tell me not to move it? I'm like, okay, I already know that. Right. And so I went, I went back to the hotel and I went to bed. And then I woke up at like, like three or something in the morning because my phone was going off and everybody was like, you need to go, you need to go to the hospital. You need to go to the hospital. And so we went and sure enough what was it oh you just need to get an x-ray to make sure it's not broken which i kind of already knew because i could literally move my arm already not much but i could move it so i could if i would have it would have been broken i felt like i would have known yeah and so literally had to get the x-ray they gave me the bill and obviously roh covered it because they're an awesome company but then i go home and then i get the mri and guess what they got to do for before the mri another (laughs) (laughs) x-ray i'm like so literally i went to that first hospital for no reason right well talk to me about um i guess the the balance between uh still being flip gordon and doing what you're known for but also working smarter and not taking um as many risks because it's got to be a delicate balance there because you don't want to totally go away from what brought you to the dance. But then again, you don't want to continue getting injured. No, absolutely. And honestly, I think I have it the easiest way because I already showed everybody what I can do. Everybody knows what I am capable of, but I have so many other styles that I've been wanting to integrate into my performances that I haven't been able to, because it didn't really make sense as the flippy guy. But now I have this built-in storyline because of injuries and because of growth and maturity and being smarter that I can actually 
start adding this little stuff in now, like the grappling, the aggression, this other stuff, show the other side of me. And then when I start sprinkling in the, the crazy flips and stuff later, it's going to be crazy because people are like, oh my God, I forgot he could do, oh my God, he can still do that? Oh, right. he can do this too. Oh my God, he can talk on a microphone now. Like, oh my God, he can, he can do this. Oh, he's wrestling 30 minute main events. Like what? We didn't know he could do that. He's got submissions, right? Submit to flip. Absolutely. And it's like, I want to like, I want to be able to, I want to be the, like, I, for me personally, I want to be a very well-rounded wrestler. I don't want to just be a high flyer. I don't want to just be submission. I don't want to just be a striker. I want to be good at all of those things right. because what, that's what a company wants. And they're looking for their next top guy or their champion. They're looking for a guy that can wrestle. And the fans are looking for, to support somebody that can wrestle. 100%. So was the mercenary your creation? Yeah. So when I blew out my knee, um, I was like, first time being injured. And you know that first week when you, before the MRI, before the results, anytime with the knee, you know it's scary because you know it's six, six months to a year half the time. And um, so I was, you know, MSG coming up. I was so scared. And Marty called me and he's like, listen, man. He's like, don't stress. He's like, we're going to get you through this don't even sweat it. He's like, you're a trooper. Just, just stay positive, stay focused. And so he, a couple of days later, he kind of started telling me like his ideas. And he's like, I want to, I think I want to bring you into villain enterprises. And we were trying to like, think of how it would work. And he's like, well, you should be like my understudy. You know what I mean? Like my little project and me wanting to tie, like, I'm very proud of my military time I served. I want to tie that in somehow. And it just worked the mercenary because like everybody knows what a mercenary is. It's, he's a hired hitman. You know, he's, you know I mean? He, the, the only loyalty he shows is to money and it just, it's something I know and can do organically and still show aggression. But then at the end of the day, what is a mercenary? He's just a soldier. He's a hired soldier, which is technically what I am. I'm an independent contracted soldier that now wrestles. Right. Yeah. It makes perfect sense uh, with the evolution. So I still get to be myself because the mercenary is still a human. You know what I mean? They have their own little traits, but when it comes to business and that's why like, I have no problem being like hokey and funny because when I'm, when I'm in the ring, it's business. It's time, you know, when the mission's at hand, it's time to get the job done. When, when you, when you became a mercenary, that whole thing was set up what, you know, you would classically call a heel turn. Uh, you sort of led lifeblood to believe you were going to join them. You know, there was some subterfuge, stabbed them in the back. Uh, you wrestled pretty much like a heel after that. But Villain Enterprises, even though they're called villains, uh, they're beloved by the yep. fans. So, I mean, how do you view, um, do you view yourself as a heel, as a anti-hero? Like, how do you see the mercenary character and the group as a whole? So when I came back, Everybody was like, there's no way you can be a heel flip. There's no way. And so I took that as a challenge. I was like, all right. I was like, I know we're cool heels. So we get cheered because obviously Marty is so awesome. He's going to get cheered everywhere he goes. And it's like, all right, well, now I'm going to make it my goal to be the one member of Villain Enterprises that gets booed. And, and so did. like, I just, I would try to, and I would, I was like, all right, well, I know we're going to get cheered, but I'm not going to wrestle that way. I'm not going to pander to the crowd anymore. Why would a merc if mercenary would never pander to the crowd? They're there to fight. You know what I mean? They're there to collect their paycheck. Absolutely. And so that's how I kind of just I, I love the character because when you're playing a character, it's so much easier. It's hard to play yourself. It's so hard. Because then you overthink everything. Oh, should I 
should I do this? Should I do that? Like, well, I would do this. Well, I don't know if I would do, it's like, it's too much thinking. Whereas when you have a character and you know a character, you know personal traits, you know traits, it makes it so much easier. You mentioned your military background and how that um, obviously plays right into the mercenary character. But let me ask you, um, for those who aren't really familiar, I mean, everyone knows you have the military background. Maybe briefly, could you just touch on what you did in the Army? Um, and also, how has your military training influenced who, the, who you are today? Not necessarily your in-ring character, but just the real-life person. Absolutely. So when I first enlisted back in 2012, I was living in Idaho. And me and my best friend enlisted together. And we originally went in as horizontal construction engineers, which is like heavy equipment operators. So I was, I was operating loaders, dozers, scrapers, like dump trucks, you name it. And it was awesome because during those four or five years where I grew up on a farm with my stepdad and my mom remarried, um, I got to kind of operate some of those rigs on the farm. So I had like kind of a, an, a one up on everyone else going to basic training and learning this job. And I fell in love with operating because my stepdad wouldn't let me do it all. He'd always be like, no, you got to do it this way. Or then he'd end up taking over. And so by being able to do it myself, it was like, oh yeah, look, look, I can do this by myself. I draw like excavators and it's so relaxing. Just being in a rig, talking to nobody else and just, it's meditating, just moving soil and just destroying things. It's awesome. And then, when I decided I wanted to move from Idaho to Boston uh, to chase wrestling, I did uh, interstate transfer. And when I did that, I had the opportunity to change my job in the army. And I loved operating heavy equipment. Like it was so much fun. But I was like, hey, that's something I can do in the real world. Let's do something that I can't do in the real world. Something that I can only do in the military. And so I chose to be a combat engineer for my last four years. And so I had to go back to, to school to learn the new job. And that's where they taught me how to use C4, TNT, deck cord um, to blow stuff up, to blow doors and walls, um, to clear houses. You know what I mean? Like very like hand-to-hand -hand combat style and very explosive. Like it was just, it was, it was fun. It was like close as you can get to like, like sapper special forces without actually going to the school. It was so much fun. And you've, uh, you were honorably discharged, right? A couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Two years, two years ago. And on May 1st, uh, I ended my contract with the military to just do wrestling full time. All right. And that's the perfect segue to talk about wrestling full time to talk about your ROH career. We're going to take a quick break and we will be back with Flip Gordon right after this. I'm Quinn McKay, your host of Ring of Honor Wrestling, and the new year brings tons of opportunities, including your opportunity to represent your favorite Ring of Honor star by wearing their merchandise, including me for some reason. So log on to ROHProShop.com now to get yours. We're back on the ROH Strong Podcast with Flip Gordon. I want to go back now to 2017 when you first started with uh, Ring of Honor. I remember this very clearly. I think the first time I saw you was actually on a Maryland Championship Wrestling show. I believe you wrestled Leo Rush. Does that sound correct? Yeah, and Rey Mysterio came out at the end. That's right. That. So, 
you already had an indie buzz, I think, at that point. So when you signed with Ring of Honor, I mean, people, you know, you had this buzz about you. I know that people in the company were high on you. But when you first ROH, you did not get this huge push right out of the gate. It kind of reminded me of like a New Japan style booking where the new guy puts up a good fight, but literally loses every match, right? So I went back and I actually did the research. You lost your first four singles matches in ROH. And then you finally beat a non-contract guy. You didn't, you didn't beat, you, and then you lost a few more and you didn't beat a contract guy. So it was Adam Page, coincidentally. And that was like seven months after your debut, you got your first win over someone on the roster. Really? The is, yeah. That was been in Florida, huh? I, I'd have to go back and look again, but yeah, I think. I think um, it was in Florida. I think I beat him. As I'm celebrating, Matt Jackson comes up behind. Where do you think you're going? <laughs> Perfect. If I remember correctly. Uh, that sounds right, actually, now that you say it. I guess, so my question to you is, were you... I guess discouraged at all as you're, you know, you're doing these jobs or did you kind of get it like, okay, I'm paying my dues. Clearly I know I'm good. They like me here. And this is just, uh, you know, my time will come. Um, I didn't really think of it too much. I've never would have known that had you not told me. Um, I'm the type of person that like, I think that I got more over in my wrestling career by losing. Because I think people saw the heart and the determination and they saw the passion. Um, and then I think when I eventually won one, I think that was, like, oh, my God, he, he got it. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't think like it's so like wrestling so weird sometimes, but I don't think you always need to win to get over. Right. Well, especially you were in there with guys, you know, you were new to the, to the company and you were in there with guys like Matt Seidel and Matt Taven and you were giving them great matches and just coming up short at the end. So I absolutely think that, yes, you can get over in defeat. Yeah, I try not to overthink that too much. My goal is to go out there and have the best wrestling match that I can. I want to have the best match on the card. I want to have the best match of the weekend. And that should be my goal every time. If you're getting too caught up with, oh, I want to win. Oh, I want to lose. I want to be champ. It's like, how about you just go out there and put on the best show that you can? Right. Absolutely. Um, I think there's, I think Bully Ray has actually said it like in every match, you know, one guy wins, but there's also an opportunity for another guy to get over one guy goes yeah. over, another guy can get over. And I yep. think that really should be the philosophy. Yeah. I mean, every, every scenario is different and that's what's so cool about wrestling is that you can literally do almost anything you want. There's certain formulas that have been known to work. But sometimes you take those formulas and tweak them a little bit. The fans don't know what's coming. They're like, oh, my God, we know what's coming. Wait, what? They flipped the script on us? What? So I think things – it was it was 2018. Things really uh, – I think that was a big year for you. Things started happening. You were voted the ROH breakout star of the year. And I think one of the highlights was the Chris Jericho cruise. You won the Sea of Honor tournament. And, again, I, I looked this up to make sure I got the names right. These are the guys you beat to win the tournament. You beat in succession. You beat Silas Young, Marty, Dalton Castle, and Jay Briscoe. Literally, uh, two former world champions, two former television champions, four of the biggest guys in the company. Did you see? You know, I know this took place on the uh, the high seas and not on a <laughs> pay per view or anything like that. But did you see that as kind of a 
a turning point or like a, like a stamp of approval? Oh, absolutely. Um, that was huge for me because not only was it the first wrestling cruise ship, um, I was the first person to win a tournament on a wrestling cruise ship and get another opportunity at the Ring of Honor World Championship. And I'm still very young at this, which I, I keep going back to, but it's the truth. I've only been doing this five years. And there's some people, I've only been in Ring of Honor three. And there's some people that have been in Ring of Honor three years that have never even got a world championship shot. Right. So just to have get that opportunity means so much, especially so early on in my career, because I had just won breakout of the year. You know, I mean, now I'm getting one of, you know, I mean, my first opportunity at the Ring of Honor World Championship. So it just meant to me that I was, what I'm doing means I'm on the right track. So just keep doing whatever I'm doing. So I think the biggest thing as far as kind of getting you to the next level or, you know, top guy status, I think was your feud with Bully Ray. And we saw a different, we saw a different uh, gear, I guess, maybe, or a different, um, different type of emotion from Flip Gordon at that point, especially the I Quit match, which yep. was final battle, December 2018. What was, what was that experience like of, uh, of working a program with a, a veteran, you know, a legend in this business, a guy like Bully Ray? Um, it was really cool. Um, I learned so much because, like, when you go against somebody like Bully, take out, like, the Hall of Famer, take out all that, and you just take him as the person. Flip Gordon's not going to wrestle his normal Flip Gordon match against a guy of that size. And so that's when it really kind of taught me, hey, it's not all about moves, and Bully helped us immensely, but it's about storytelling. Right. And after the whole build-up to, like, with the whole build-up to book Flip, like, that was storytelling. That's what got me my biggest pop in my whole life. You know what I mean? And it was storytelling that people, they knew I was going to get booked, but they didn't know how, but they were so invested into the story that, that just, you know, they, they, they made the moment because they wanted it because of the story. They loved the story. And I feel like storytelling has almost kind of lost um, its art a little bit in this day and age, but it's starting to come back. And so working with him, I just learned so much of the storytelling side. And then I also got 10 scars across my back. <laughs> and some scars on your forehead as well. Yep. Uh, and it just went with, again, like we had seen you up to that point in these great matches, these, you know, modern style matches with lots of flips and springboards and 450s and, you know, all the great stuff you do, the Star Spangled Stunner, uh, Kinder Surprise. I, I, I'm trying to list as many as I can remember. But I, I'm, I'm such a respectful person and I love earning respect from people. Yep. And so working with somebody like Bully and knowing his hardcore status, I wanted to earn his respect. And that's why I was like, hey, like, there's no such thing as too far from me. I'll do whatever. Because I know that guys like Kim and guys that in that generation did that and more. Right. You know what I mean? And well, so like, and I, I I wanted to take the 10 canes. I wanted to do hardcore matches. I wanted to get, cause I wanted to not only show him, but I wanted to show the people like, Hey, yeah, I'm not just a pretty army boy. Like I, I can take an ass whooping, but I can also dish out. Exactly. And I think that really took the character of flip Gordon to another level because yeah, all of a sudden here's this guy doing all this flippy stuff and now he's bleeding and, and bleeding a lot. And now he's legitimately like, you can't fake, the cane shots and obviously the marks on your body show like there's nothing work about that. That's legit. 
So absolutely, people ask me all the time about the cane shots, and I tell people that I only remember the first two because the first one, obviously, and then the second one got my tricep and elbow. So the second one, as soon as it hit the tricep and elbow, my whole body went numb. Wow. And so like on the eighth or ninth one, I lost track. I couldn't keep track. And so I remember on the last one, I'm crawling up. And I remember asking Cody, I'm like, how many are left? <laughs> he's, he's like, he's like, last one. And I was like, really? That's it? I was like, that went quick. <laughs> watching it back, man. Oh my gosh. So what kind of feedback, and again, I know we're pulling back the curtain a little bit here, but um, inquiring minds want to know, what kind of feedback did you get from Bully um, after working with him? And, and first of all, let me just say, Bully is at a point in his career that he's earned the right to work with who he wants to work with. And he picked you out as someone he wanted to work with and help get you to the next level. So I think that's a testament to you as well, that he wanted to work with you. But what kind of did you get from him after it was all said and done? Oh my gosh. I got so much. Um, the first, the first, I mean, he got mad at me because I, I mean, I lay my forearms in, but I mean, it's a fight brother. Right. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think, I mean, he, we we did a we were married practically for a year. Yep. So I mean, there's I mean, there's lots of advice. I don't know if I want to expose it because then I feel like I feel like that was advice was just for me, not everyone else. You know. Sure, understood. <laughs> All right. So the last question I'm going to ask you about the I Quit match is uh one moment. There are a lot of moments that stood out, but one that really stood out to me was your um your girlfriend Brittany was at ringside. She kind of got involved. And I'll never forget this with your face, the proverbial crimson mask, you grabbed her and planted a kiss on her. I have to know, did she know that was coming that you, the, the bloody kiss? And if not, what was her reaction to it? Um, that was just kind of heat of the moment, to be honest. That's what I, I thought. Like, it just kind of felt right. And uh, we met on set of a movie and we had our first kiss on set of a movie. And so I was just like, hey, well, I want to kiss on, like, my, my TV show, too. <laughs> How did she feel about the blood all over her face after that? So she actually became a meme because I don't think she noticed that she had blood on her face. And so she went back to sit back down. <laughs> and so, like, the next match, I think somebody kind of let her know, like, hey, you still got blood on your face. Uh, even she was wearing the, the, the wounds of war. Uh, the <laughs> She's a badass. Yeah, absolutely. You can take well, Bully by herself. I just had to keep her on the other side of the guard. Though, so. <laughs> no doubt. So tell me about this. You said you met on a movie set, and I heard you say that in the documentary as well. Were you, were you an actor on this set? Um, I try. Um, I've actually been acting since high school. I got into theater. I've always loved acting and playing characters. And so when I first moved to Boston – um, I had volunteered a few times to be an extra in a couple movies and I had met this movie producer, um, who also is, a he's a manager for independent wrestling companies around here in Connecticut. And so he had, me and him kind of became friends and he had messaged me and said, Hey, I have a role I think you'd be perfect for. And I feel like I was typecasted a little bit because I played a dumb jock and <laughs> it was a perfect role. I had so much fun for it. And in that role, I was, I was, uh, 
I was playing the dumb jock that ended up cheating or breaking up with. I can't remember the whole story. I didn't read the full script. Don't tell them I, I didn't, but I didn't read the full script. But long story short, I ended up having a kissing scene with my girlfriend and we lived in the house for five days together. So after the kissing scene and living together five days, we just sparks flew and, and it just worked out. Well, so now I'm intrigued. What, if you want to say, what was the name? Was this movie released? What was the name of it? How can I watch it? So it is called The Find, and it is scheduled for release this October. Okay. And this is, was, what kind of movie is this? Like what genre? It's a horror movie. So we all get murdered. <laughs> hey, spoiler alert. And Vincent is the murderer. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Now it all makes sense. Yes. I know about Vincent's the star of this movie. Yep. Okay, I didn't realize you were also... And we're the co-stars. Okay, gotcha. Huh. Yeah, so that's how we all met. So Vincent was actually there when we met. Okay. Huh. All right, well, stay clear of Vincent in the in Ring of Honor. I mean, geez, the guy is... Talk about... Uh, you Loose know, cannon. Limit, right? Loose cannon. Loose cannon. All right, we're going to play uh, 10 questions coming up here after this next break. But before we get to that, there's one other thing I have to ask you about. Um, this flat earther gimmick, right? Like, I know yes. you've, you've talked online about this. So, you know, I, this is a shoot, Flip. Are you legitimately into this flat earth theory or is this all a work? It is all a work. And I'm gonna, I'll tell you the story behind it. Yeah, please. So... When I went down to Mexico for four weeks for CMLL, um, I ended up hanging out with a legend that I grew up watching on TV, Juventud Guerrera. And so, yep, Hoovy baby, juicy baby. And um, so we were going to do a bit for BTE. And so we ended up doing the little bit for BTE. And then we ended up hanging out. And then he's like, hey, you want to go to like, this bar? And you know, I'm not much of a drinker, so a couple of drinks and I was wasted. And he starts telling me this flat earth theory. And so he's going off, showing me pictures, this, that. And, and I'm thinking, this is insane. Yeah. <laughs> Those are things I had never seen before. You know what I mean? And I've always been one to kind of push buttons. I've always been one to like get reactions out of people, especially with social media, which got me in trouble in the past. Um, but that's kind of how it came about. And I saw these things. And I started doing research. And I actually went down a rabbit hole and now I'm in love with astrology. And that's how I know the earth is not flat because I actually did real research and stuff. But when in my research, looking up the flat earth theories, I would just tweet out like these little theories. And it all started because of hearing that from Hoovy and then seeing when Tesla shot the car up into space, all I tweeted was fake. Because I, I didn't think that they got the car in space. But when I tweeted fake, people automatically started calling me a flat earther. And I was like, F it. I was like, let's push some buttons today. And so I just went full throttle. And the next thing, I didn't think it was going to blow up like it did. And the next thing you know, the following week at Ring of Honor, I walk in and the Bucks are like, what's this flat earth stuff? And I'm like, oh, brother. They're like, we got to get it on BTE. And I'm like, no. I was like, I'm never going to be able to let go of this. But that's how it all started. And I, I convinced so many people that the flat earth was real. <laughs> yeah, when I saw you doing that on social media, I was just like, I thought Flip was smarter than this. But it, got I, to the, 
it got to the point that the Flat Earth Society blocked me on Twitter. Oh, because no. Because they found out I was a fraud. <laughs> well, the interesting part of that story, I didn't know the, definitely did not know the Hoovy part of it. Um, so many, many years ago, I'm an old guy flip. So I actually worked at WCW Magazine way back 20 years ago. That's how old I am. I started as a child, actually, back in WCW. Um, that's a joke. Uh, Hooventude was there. And, like, Hoovy had, like, all, a lot of wrestlers are eccentric. But I think even um, grading on a curve with all wrestlers being eccentric, Hoovy was, like, one of the most eccentric. I mean, I can't imagine hanging out with Hoovy Juice in uh, – Oh, like, Hoovy's, Hoovy's awesome. He's go, so much fun. We partied so much that, that night. We partied so much that night that I slept through the earthquake tremors the next morning. And the only thing I remembered from that night was the flat earth talk. <laughs> That's a, when you write your memoirs one day, like I'm going to go right to the chapter about hanging out with Juventud Guerrera. Oh, it's but like, it opened my eyes though. Cause I had never heard the flat earth theory before, but it got me so into it that I started doing research and to the point where I asked my girlfriend to give me a telescope for my birthday because I've been stargazing. And like a lot of people don't know this, but stars are, they're, they're seasonal. And a lot of people don't know that because, well, well when the earth rotates, you know, season change, obviously the stars in the freaking in space, they don't move, just the earth's moving. So different times you're going to see different stars at different seasons. And so that would only be plausible if the earth was round. All right. So an educational experience with Juventud Guerrera. That's uh, yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, look, we're going to take our final break here. And then when we come back, we're going to play 10 questions. Are you up for 10 questions? Absolutely. All right. We'll be I'm, I'm a big fan of five that, questions with the champ. You remember that? Five questions with the champ. What was five questions? I don't remember that. Oh, that was, uh, oh, it was like John Cena's like five questions with the champ from like 2005. <laughs> you're a big john it was like a it was like a wwe.com like special i think i can't remember that's your guy in the first youtube series you're big cena guy i was because i was born in boston but growing up in montana and when i found wrestling him being from the same like state i was born in being a white guy into hip-hop i was the only guy that really liked hip-hop where i'm from everybody else listened to country and i hated country because it was shoved down my throat until maybe a few years ago. And then I was like, oh, yeah, country's not that bad. But I was just like, I, I gravitated towards him because we had so much in common. Hip-hop, wrestling, you know what I mean? Massachusetts, like, we liked cars. Like, all, like it's just, it was crazy. So I was naturally drawn to him. And it was cool because he didn't have any tattoos. He never did drugs. Like, he never got in trouble. So that was, like, my first real role model I ever had in my life. I, I see it. I definitely see it. All right. Well, we'll be back uh, with Flip Gordon and 10 questions right after this. Ring of Honor presents the best Dungeons and Dragons on the planet with Joe Hendry as Mega, the singing sensation, Beer City Bruiser as Maynard, Dwarven Cleric of Ale, Session Marth Martina as Thea, Roller Malonis as Ander the Bold Barbarian, and Cheeseburger as Santee together. These wrestlers become heroes. Join these stars and more for Role Play of Honor. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast with Flip Gordon. Uh, We've had a lot of fun. This has been informative. But now it's time to play 10 Questions. 
And it is now time for 10 Questions with Kevin. So, Flip, question number one. What's something that's on your bucket list? Bucket list? Wrestling or, like, just in general? It could be either one. In general, wrestling. You don't have to limit yourself. Anything at all. Ooh, bucket list. Something I really want to do. Gosh, I have like a whole list at home. I wish I was at home right now. Let's see. Like we can we can scratch off like learn how to ride a unicycle, right? You got yep. that. Okay. I guess bucket list would be fluent in Spanish because like, that's something I've wanted for so long, but it's just I haven't like just fully dedicated until now. And I think if I just fully dedicate it, there's no there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to learn it. All right, muy bien. What's something popular? Question number two. Something popular that you don't see the appeal of. Everybody likes it. You don't. Um, Non-well-done steak. Non-well-done steak. So steak with pink in it. Ah. Yeah. So are you a... You a, a I'm a well-doneer. Well-doneer. How about me? I, I'm more medium well. No, does that not... not that doesn't work? I'll, so I'll, depending on the restaurant, I'll ask for medium well just so they don't burn it, burn it. Right. Because if I, if I get medium well and I let it sit for an extra five minutes, it normally will cook all the way through. Right. Yeah, I've, I made the mistake years ago. Well done. It's, it, it's burnt to a crisp. So I'm just a very picky eater, and I'm a very texturized eater. So, like, if it's not cooked too much, it's just there's something about it. It just grosses me out. I don't know. I'm weird. All right. Well, this is going to lead right into question number three. Uh, obviously, you're in great shape. You're an athlete. You eat right. But we all have to cheat once in a while. What's your favorite cheat food? So my favorite cheat food is something I actually eat every single day, and it's vanilla ice cream. I'm a big fan. I, I, I agree with you, Flip. You know, my, my family makes fun of me for liking vanilla because they think it's boring, but there's nothing better, right? I mean, vanilla Absolutely ice cream. Absolutely not. And, I mean, ice cream's technically a protein because it comes from milk and cows, so. All right, I'm going to spin it that way. Now I don't have to feel guilty about it because it's No, boring. absolutely not. Just drink less milk, you'll be fine. Okay. I'll be looking like Flip. I'll have abs like Flip Gordon. Is that what you're telling me? Absolutely. That's the trick, man. Ice cream. Ice cream is how you get abs. All right. Well, this, uh, this made my day. All right, great. I'm going to go out and get a gallon. All right, question number four. What person, living or dead, would you like to have a conversation with? Ooh, living or de- a conversation. Ooh, that's tough. Anybody, anybody that you could pick that you'd love to sit down and talk to, have, pick their brain. Ooh, that's so tough. Um, I'll say Jesus. It, it, you know, Matt Taven actually said the same thing on our last episode. And then he said, like, that sounds cliche, but you can't, like, how do you get any higher than that? You really can't, right? Like, no, you can't. Like, yeah, that's pretty much the only really, If I want to know anything, that's the guy to ask, right? You would think so. I mean, without getting too controversial, I think, yeah, you know, a lot of people believe that for sure. All right. Question number, what are we up to? Five. Three, five, four. I, I don't know. Um, have you ever pulled a harmless rib on anyone? Ooh, yes. Okay. I actually, follow up. I in, learned, what was it? Okay, so <clears throat> I might get in a little trouble with this, but I was young and I didn't know better. Um, and this is when I was getting the harmless ribs from the Bucks and all of them. And me and Cody were working Northeast Wrestling, and he was the ROH champion. 
and the Northeast Wrestling Champion at the time. And this was right, I think, right after he had won the ROH belt. And it was right after this show. We had a stadium show. I can't remember where it was. And he had walked away from his belt. And so I just took, I think I took both of them. I can't remember if it was one or both. But I took one or both and put them in the cupboard. And when he came in, he couldn't find them. And I thought it was just a harmless rib. And he didn't take it too funny. <laughs> he didn't think it was He thought it was harmful. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was harmless. But he was like, yeah, don't, he's like, yeah, just don't touch, like, don't touch those if you don't win them type of thing. Like, it's just a respect thing. And I was like, oh, crap, I'm sorry. I was just trying to be funny. <laughs> All right, so lesson learned. All right, question six. What's a subject that you'd like to know more about? You may have already answered this with the Spanish thing, but is there anything else, um, something that you don't have any knowledge in right now that you'd like to one day know more? Ooh. Some, mm, that's tough. Um, maybe probably farming. Just I grew up on a farm for a little part, but it was like it was only four years, and I learned so much in that amount of time. But I would love to learn like everything that kind of goes into farming because my dream after wrestling would be able to own my own farm someday. So obviously I'd have to learn everything that goes into it because it's a very difficult job to own a farm. That's for sure. Okay. Question number seven, what is your, or who is your favorite sports team? My favorite sports team is the new England Patriots. And I got my first Jersey when I was five years old. And it was number 11, Drew Bledsoe, before the Brady era. And I will be a Patriots fan until the day I die, even though Brady left. So when Bledsoe got hurt, you must have thought, well, that's it for the Patriots. Yeah. Who's the six-round draft pick? My Little God. did I know. And check this out. Drew Bledsoe actually lives in Whitefish, Montana, the next town over from where I grew up. No kidding. Yeah. All right, number eight, do you have a guilty pleasure? Something that you like that maybe you wouldn't want to admit that you like? Ooh, guilty pleasure. That I wouldn't, I'm trying to think, that I wouldn't want to admit that I like? Like, for example, a tough guy might say, you know what, I actually like romantic comedies, but I would never want to admit that. Ooh. I hate roller coasters, but I don't like to admit it. Okay. I will always go on a roller coaster. I won't say no, but I hate the, like, I hate the feeling of falling. That's, you know, that is obviously ironic coming from you. But it's, all, it's weird. It's only on roller coasters because I feel like because it's so close to the ground and it's so, like, you're not in control of it. Because right. I've, I've gone skydiving before. No fear at all because I, because I know that they're so far to the ground and I know that I have enough time to, you know what I mean? The shoot's going to pop out and then you're floating. There's just something about like the mechanicals, like if a screw pops out, you're going like, I don't know, but I will never say no. And I will always go on one because I tell myself I can't be scared of anything. Okay. Question number nine, who is your favorite musical act of all time? Oh, that's tough. I'm not much of a music guy. I've never been in, like, I couldn't tell you 
names of songs I like. I couldn't tell you who art, what artist sings a song if it pops on. Um, the only person I really know and have kind of listened to would probably be Eminem that I can kind of name. But I mean, I listen to so much stuff, just like different genres. If it can get my head kind of bopping, I'll listen to it. I'm more of, I listen for the music, not the words. Okay. All right. We're down to the final question. Question number 10. What's the worst question you've ever been asked in an interview? Who? Yes, you can count this interview as well. If there's any of the nine questions you were just asked that you, that you think is the worst question. I don't know, because I feel like no question's bad unless it's not asked. I mean, there's some far-fetched or other, you know what I mean? But okay. if you're curious, I mean, everybody's curious about different things. So, you know what I mean? What might be a dumb question to me might be a you know, life-changing question to somebody else. That's a, that's a very good way to look at it. So, you know, I might have to scratch that question off, the, <laughs> off of future yeah, tenders. That's, really, that's a really tough one, because, I mean, it's... it's I'm sure I've asked tons of dumb questions before, but I wouldn't have known answers had I not asked them. Very good point. Okay. Well, Flip, before we let you go, um, tell us where can we find you on social media and do, we, do you have any final words uh, for Honor Nation before we wrap up? Uh, stay safe during these times. Um, and don't you worry because pro wrestling will be back and better than ever. You can follow me and support me at Twitter and Instagram at the flip Gordon. And if you want to go pick up some of my merch, head over to ring of honor shop.com. Flip. Thanks so much uh, for being generous with your time today. It was, it was great catching up with you. Um, and thanks to everybody out there for listening. Keep it locked into ROHwrestling.com and ROH's social media channels at Ring of Honor on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for all the news of when and where future episodes of the ROH Strong podcast will be available. Stay safe, everyone, and let's all be ROH Strong.